a cheap version of the word blessed would be the word happy. And I do mean that's a cheap version. You ever had someone ask you if you're happy? Are you happy? Are you happy? Do you feel happy? All right. Uh, uh, oftentimes we got so much pressure on us and stress in life that the answer isn't just an instant, yes, I feel happy because we're focused on our stress. But if someone were to ask you, are you happy? What if you were to reply, no, I'm not just one happy. I'm happy, happy. I'm happy, happy. All right. I'm happy, happy, happy. Uh, I'm a, I'm a plurality of happy. I'm a plurality of blessed. And the Bible says that blessed is the man. Uh, there's a multitude of blessings available uh, to this man. And we want to talk about today how to be blessed. Now, um, now every single person I know wants a plurality of God's blessing on their life. And for a season of life, many enjoy God's goodness. But listen, I don't just want to be uh, blessed in a a plural way for a day or a week or a month or a few years. No, no, no. I want the blessings of God poured down on me for an entire lifetime. Now, um, I believe that's uh, the heart of all of us here this morning. Paul would write to the churches of Galatia, who at one time or another had enjoyed the blessed life, the blessings of God, he would write to them and he would say, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 7, he would say, Ye did run well, ye did run well, who did hinder you, that ye should not obey the truth. Now notice that these people in these churches had walked in blessing. They had walked, uh, uh, they had walked in God's goodness. They had known what it was like to experience the goodness of God in their life, but they had gotten off track. They had been hindered. They were no longer doing that. They had ceased to produce the fruit. Uh, they had ceased to be that tree that prospered there by the river. Uh, they had gotten off track. And Paul asks, who did hinder you? What got you off track? And then he encourages those who are weary uh, in the Lord's calling in chapter 6, verse 9. He says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we what, church? Faint not. We shall we reap if we faint not. And you know, God promises the blessing of an abundance of fruit If we will uh, stay faithful, if we'll not quit when the going gets tough. Now, many grow weary in their passion to do right. They put forth the effort and then they do not get the expected outcome. You ever put forth an effort and didn't get the outcome and got discouraged, right? Maybe you made an investment in a relationship. There was some friend you had and uh, you could tell the friendship wasn't right where you wanted it. And so, man, you really poured yourself into that person and... You just didn't really get the outcome that you hoped for. They didn't really respond the way you wanted. Maybe you've had that in a marriage or maybe uh, you've invested in in an adult child and you've put forth the effort. You're not getting the outcome that you want there. Uh, Maybe uh, maybe, uh, you've you've made that effort with the Lord. You you tried going to church for a year straight. You you read through your whole Bible one whole time. You, You gave yourself to a time of prayer and you didn't quite get out of it what you would hope to get out of it. And you think, well, Pastor, I'm not really experiencing the fruit from my labor. Well, I would say that that, there's a couple of reasons why that would be. And if you're taking notes by way of introduction, uh, let me encourage you to write these down. Reasons why we uh, get discouraged or reasons why we don't get the fruit we want. Number one, you are not being patient. 
you're not being patient. Listen, sometimes it takes time. I'm going to get into this more at the end of the sermon. But can I just say that um, there is a principle of sowing and reaping. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also... What's that last word, church? Reap. Say it with me. Reap. What you sow, you'll reap. We understand the principle of sowing and reaping. And I'm going to tell you right now, we live in a, a, a culture that wants things right now. Right now. I call it the microwave culture. Right? How many old enough to remember before microwaves were a common feature in everybody's house? All right, all the, all the old people are raising their hand. Amen. I don't remember that. My whole life, I've seen microwaves. But uh, maybe, I don't know, 55, 60 and up, you can remember a time when microwaves were a newer invention. You know, now you just pop that microwave dinner with the cell phone in the microwave. And three minutes later, you know, you're, you're eating hot on the outside, cold in the middle, right? Uh, but you have your dinner there. You have that microwave. And we're used to that instantaneous, I have to have it this very moment. And can I tell you that if you're going to be a tree planted by the river of water that bringeth forth fruit in your season, whose leaf doesn't wither and whatsoever you do prospers, if that's a Psalm 1-3 type Christian, you have to understand this is not a microwave process. This is a long, you have to be in this for the long run. The second reason why people don't get the or, or get frustrated over not getting the results, uh, maybe you are spiritually malnourished. Number two, you, you might be spiritually malnourished. Now, I remember one night in the middle of the night, there being a loud crash during a, a, a thunderstorm. And I could hear that crash from my bedroom. And the next morning I woke up and uh, our next door neighbor, his name was Walter. And Walter was an, a news anchor for the local um, uh, TV channel there. He's on the five to six o'clock news. And, and uh, Walter had sent a news truck out uh, to our neighbor across the street. You see a tree, uh, a large, I believe it was a pine tree, a large pine tree that was towering 30, 40, 50 feet tall, uh, maybe not that tall, 25, 30 feet tall, had fallen over and landed on the neighbor's house. And when it fell, it, cr- it crashed the carport. It crashed into uh, the, uh, the, the uh, dining room area. It took out the living room area and it stopped just short of crushing the bedroom part of the house. To my knowledge, no one was killed, but the whole house except for the bedrooms was completely flattened by that tree. And I remember waking up that morning, being eight, nine, ten years old, walking out and seeing this tree laying on top of this house that's been crushed and seeing the root system of this tree just hanging in the air and thinking, something's wrong here. Something's wrong here. And somewhere along the line, that tree looked healthy on the outside, but down in that root system, it wasn't healthy. That tree had become malnourished, and when just the right storm came along, that whole tree came crashing down. There are many Christians who, for years, they did the right thing, but somewhere along the line, they stopped doing those things they're supposed to do. And there, there they are. Everyone sees them as being the strong Christian. But lo and behold, that tree can come crashing down. There's a third reason uh, that I want to give you today why maybe you're not getting your uh, return on investment ROI. Maybe it's you have allowed the thorns and thistles of this world to choke out your spiritual uh, tree. Uh, you've allowed the thorns and thistles of this world to choke out your spiritual tree. Turn over to Luke chapter 8, if you would. Luke chapter 8, Mark Psalm 1 in your Bible. And then I'm going to have you also put a marker in Luke 8 because later on in the sermon... We're going to come back to that, all right? So Luke chapter 8, turn over there if you would, 
and verse number 14. Jesus here is giving a parable about a sower and a seed. The sower is a, a preacher, or one who gives out the Word of God. The seed is the Word of God. And in this uh, parable, there are four different types of soil rep- representing the four different types of heart that receive the Word. Look at Luke chapter 8. Look at verse number 14. I'm going to begin reading. It says, And that which fell among thorns are they which when they had heard go forth and are choked with what? With cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Now, I've, I've been asked, oh, I hope you hear me here. I've been asked over the years what it means to produce fruit as a Christian. What does a Christian's fruit look like? And the answer really is quite simple. A, listen now, a Christian's fruit is eternal. A Christian's fruit does not burn up or rust out one day. You understand that one day this earth is going to burn up, Peter tells us, with a fervent heat. Um, even today, cars go to a junkyard after they're 10, 15, 20, years, 20, 30 years old. Now, listen, today's cares will be quickly forgotten tomorrow. You know that problem that just loomed over your head a year ago? You probably don't even know what it is today. Today's cares will be forgotten tomorrow. Listen, today's riches will be spent or wasted by either you or a generation to come. There are so many people that work so hard to save money, and man, they put away the money, they put away the money. Listen to me, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Uh, You've worked real hard to earn that money. Your children or your children's children are going to waste that money on frivolous things. Two or three generations from now, all that money that you earn through blood, sweat, and tears will be spent on stuff that just really doesn't matter. And you're giving yourself to think, you're giving yourself to earn money so that it can be one day wasted. Today's pleasures are fleeting and new experiences are needed because of the empty aftertaste that is left. We're going to go to a concert. We're going to go to an amusement park. We're going to go over here and enjoy this party. And I'm going to tell you what, there's nothing wrong with having a little fun in life. But some people, that's what they've given their heart to. That's what they've given their life to. And you know what? You might make a memory in the process, but it leaves you with an empty feeling that has to be filled again with yet more and more pleasure. But those who bring fruit to perfection are blessed. They're not just blessed. They're blessed, blessed. How do you become a Psalm 1, uh, Psalm 1 tree type Christian? Here's, here's, the, here's the key. Listen up. You become a Psalm 1 tree type Christian by remaining steadfast. Just be in your place. Do what you're supposed to do. Love the Lord and follow the truths in the Word of God. Listen up now. You must choose to do what is right and do it not just over a period of years. But you must do it over a lifetime. In college, I heard them say this over and over and over again. And boy, this is one of those sentences that helps guide my life. Here it is. Christianity is not measured in years. It is measured over a period of decades. 
hey, that's great that you can be a Christian, a good Christian for a few years. Where will you be 10 years from now? 20 years from now? 30 years from now? 40 years from now? Some of you said, in 10 years, Pastor, I'm going to be in heaven. Amen. I'm happy for you. Amen. If you're up in years, that might very well be where you are. But to those of you in here that have your youth and life, where will you be in three, four, five decades? A strong tree enjoys the sunshine, birds that sing from its branches. But when the wind blows and the storm rages, that tree with its strong roots holds its place and steadfastly remains strong. In the first three verses of Psalm 1, we're given a description of the saint. In the last three verses, the sinner. Let's turn our attention to this chapter. Let's continue our series, Having a Heart That is Ready. And let's look at this truth, a steadfast heart. All right, that's the introduction. Let's get into the body of the sermon here. Number one, notice first, steadfast in our prudence. Steadfast in our prudence. Now look with me at Psalm 1 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now this is a fascinating verse. If you go and you you talk to someone today about how to be happy or how to be blessed, if you will, uh, generally you'll find a motivational speaker who will talk to you about the power of positive thinking. But uh, here, uh, the author of this chapter did not begin by talking about uh, positive thinking. He started out with a list of negatives. He started out by talking about who you should avoid and where you should go. Now, we see a downward slope here. Uh, we go from, uh, we go from, look here, from walking to standing to sitting. And the longer that you walk, stand, and sit, the greater foothold you give to the wrong crowd. Now, notice that the preferred posture of the Christian is not that of walking, standing, or sitting, but Hebrews tells us that the preferred posture of the Christian is that we're running. We should be running the race that is set before us. There are seasons in the Bible where we are to walk and we are to stand, but the preferred posture is to run. And notice that in our uh, uh, Christian life, there is a crowd that we are to avoid. There is a crowd we're to stay away from. Now, uh, uh, a steadfast, godly Christian carries God's prudence in his heart. Prudent. What is prudence? Prudence, prudence is the ability to discern and go the other direction. Now, uh, uh, let's see. Proverbs 22, 6, I believe it is. I believe that's the reference. says this. It says, uh, a prudent man foreseeth the evil. And that's not 22, 6. Excuse me. Uh, uh, but, but all the same. The verse says, a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. There's the discernment. The simple, they pass on and are punished. Now, a prudent man can see a bad crowd and he goes the other direction. Now, let's talk about who we should avoid. Letter A, notice he does not listen to the ungodly man. He does not listen to the ungodly man. Look with me at Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that... Read that next part with me right there. Ready? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Let's do that again. I want 100% participation. All right? You guys sound like someone must have given you like melatonin before you came into church this morning. You're all drugged 
or something. Amen? Let's wake up. I can have you all stand up and do jumping jacks or run laps or something here, okay? Let me hear you now. Put some in... We're in about this church, okay? Show some excitement, all right? Uh, there's churches across town that would better fit the spirit of this room. Amen. Uh, let's, let's act like it, all right? Let's try that again. Psalm 1, blessed is the man that, read it with me, walketh not. Much better. Walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, uh, you, listen up now. Your, uh, your shoe is either tied or untied, but it can't be both. You're either married or unmarried, but you can't be both. You're either happy or unhappy. If you're happy this morning, can you smile for me? Some of you just told me you're not happy. Is you ain't going to smile no matter what I say. Years ago when uh, Matthew and I were um, out selling chocolate for a school fundraiser, going door to door, knocking on doors, Matthew had to have been like five or six years old. And this lady came to the door, and I mean, she was just grouchy. And we offered her, you know, Matthew's six. Like, he's got teeth missing in his mouth, like, totally cute, right? And he's like, do you want to buy some world's finest chocolate? And the lady's like, no, wham, slams the door. And he turns and looks at me and he says, what's her problem? I said, her problem is she doesn't like chocolate. <laughs> Amen? And then we went to the next door, and uh, somewhere a couple doors down, and the person bought like eight candy bars off of them. It was just the most jovial, happy person. And I said, see what happens when you like chocolate? You're happy. Some of you in here, you don't like chocolate very much, do you? Right? Yeah, yeah, you're not happy. But uh, ha- you're either happy or unhappy. Watch this now. You're either godly or you're ungodly. But you can't be both. You can't be both. Look down at Psalm 1. Look at verse 4. Let me ask you a question this morning before we read these verses. Who has your ear? Where do you get your counsel? Your advice. Now, there's the direct and there's the indirect. Right? You're going through a problem. You pick up the phone, call your, I don't know, call your mom, call your friend. Right? Help me. What do I do? But do you know that indirectly we're getting counsel all the time? The culture is trying to shape us. Satan has his agenda in this world's systems that are being pushed on you all the time. Maybe you get your, maybe you get your counsel from a news feed. Social media news feed. Maybe you're getting your counsel from a cable news channel. You're not to walk in the counsel Are those people that you're getting your news from, do you even know if they're saved? Listen, I'm not just talking about CNN. I'm talking about the good old Fox. And some of you just need to shut that stuff off. Look, there's nothing wrong with knowing what's going on in the world. But there's something wrong with obsessing over things you can't control. And you're letting people feed you counsel that are ungodly. Maybe you're getting your counsel from an old friend who doesn't go to church, doesn't love God. Are your counselors godly or ungodly? Look at verses, look at verse 4 and let's read down through verse 6. Look at what the Bible says about the ungodly. The ungodly are not so but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. 
Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but, read the rest of the verse with me, the way of the ungodly shall perish. The way of the ungodly is the path that they traverse through life. Look here, God says their way will perish. Now listen here, their way of thinking will perish, their way of operating will perish, their way of counsel will perish, their way of of money making will perish, their way of getting and keeping friends will perish, all of this will perish. James chapter 3 in your Bibles, James chapter 3, if you don't mind, turn over there for me, James chapter number 3. Uh, where are you getting your counsel? Are you listening to the ungodly man? Do you allow those who are ungodly to have your ear and direct your heart and to guide your steps? Or are you pushing away from the ungodly man? Listen, I'm talking about the books you read. Don't you read a book if it wasn't written by a Christian author, if it's meant to influence you and guide you. I'm talking about the podcasts that you listen to. Are those people that are influencing you and guiding you and leading you, do you even know uh, if they're uh, saved? And if they are saved, are they uh, godly? Are they right with the Lord? Um, Look at James 3. Look at verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation. And in the Old English, that word conversation means lifestyle, a good lifestyle. His works with meekness of wisdom. So the first thing we're to do before we consider a counselor is we're to look at the way they live their life. We're to look at the fruit of their life. You know, there are people who write books about how to be married and they're divorced. Can I just suggest you not read those books? Some of them are bestsellers. There are people who read books about parenting whose children are a wreck. In fact, the most influential book on parenting in America was written by Benjamin Spock. And I think, if not all, most of his children committed suicide. Why are we reading and allowing his philosophy about spanking to filter into our homes? We're walking in the counsel of the ungodly. The very first test is you look at the fruit of the person's life who's giving you counsel. Hey, the Bible says about a pastor that he is to be blameless. He's not to be a brawler. He's not to be uh, guilty of filthy lucre or earning money uh, the wrong way or, or being in love with money. You know why? Because if I'm going to stand up here and preach to you the truth, God does not expect me to be sinless, but you know what He does expect me to be is reputable. You get your counsel from people who are godly. Look, at, look back at James 3, look at verse 14. But, he, but if ye have bitter envyings and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above. The world's wisdom is what? But is earthly, sensual, devilish. Notice the descriptors there. For look at this, where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is what? It's first pure, then 
peaceable. It's gentle and easy to be entreated. Uh, 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 approachable. It's full of mercy. It's full of good fruits. It's without partiality, without hypocrisy. Read verse 18 with me. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. It's peace. This counsel leads to Peace. This counsel leads to unity. This counsel does not lead to confusion and strife and envying. He who is steadfast does not listen to the ungodly man. Letter B. He does not linger with the sinful man. He does not linger with the sinful man. Brother Joe, give me a little more volume up here, please. Psalm 1, verse number 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. That next phrase. Nor standeth in the way of sinners. Say that with me. Nor standeth in the way of sinners. The Bible is filled with examples of people who lingered with the sinful and paid the price as a result. How about Abraham? Abraham went down to Egypt and lingered around the sinful. Genesis 12 Verse 10 says, And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. You say, well, uh, I don't see the harm. You know, he went, he came back, everything seemed to be good. Well, hold on just a moment here. Remember first, he gave his wife away. Remember that? He said, tell him you're my sister. And she was his half-sister. I believe they shared the same father, but not the same mother. And I know to us that's disgusting, but back in Bible times, the, uh, the gene pool was a lot more pure, and, and this was more common, and uh, that thing happened more, more regular. Uh, and so he told a half-truth about his half-sister, and God protected her, kept her from anything sexual happening to her. And they left, and you say, "Woo, okay, they escaped, no consequences. Well, hang on a moment. How about Hagar? Hagar was an Egyptian. And you know what happened with Hagar, don't you? Sarah couldn't have a baby, and she got past menopause, and she got frustrated. And so she gave Hagar, the Egyptian, to, to Abraham. And Abraham and Hagar had a baby, and they named him Ishmael. And the descendants of the Ishmaelites to this day are a thorn in the side of the Jews. Much of the war going on over in the Middle East right now, or the threat of war at least, has to do with the descendants of Ishmael. Why? Because Abraham, thousands of years ago, lingered with the sinful man. You see, when you make choices to go hang out in the wrong places, those, the, the reverberation, the fallout, right? You throw a rock in the middle of a lake, and what happens? You have these waves that make their way to shore. Those waves can, 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 can still be rolling thousands of years later. How about Lot? Lot messed up his life by lingering around the sinful men of Sodom. Genesis 12, verse, or Genesis 13 rather, verse 12, uh, says, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked, and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. You know, the Bible says about Lot that he was a righteous man. That means he was saved. But Lot took his family into the jaws where the, uh, of Satan where, where the, uh, the sinful men dwelled. And uh, his family fell in love with that area. And it was so bad that angels had to come in and place their hands 
on the wrists of Lot, Mrs. Lot, and their two daughters and drag them out of town. And then God rained down fire and brimstone to destroy those cities of that plain, Sodom and Gomorrah. They were given one instruction. What was it? Don't look back. What did Mrs. Lot do? And what did she become? Yeah, a pillar of salt. But then, you know, Lot, because he lingered with sinful men, and he saw what happened to his old home in that city, you know what? He lived, the rest, he lived out the rest of his life in paranoia and fear. He would go live in a cave with his daughters and keep them from other people. And his daughters got so desperate to have a baby that they got him drunk, committed incest with their father, had babies that way. This is what happens, folks, when we linger too long with the wrong crowd. Hey, some of you in here have some folks on social media you need to unfollow. Some of you in here have some counsel, some news sources that you need to let go. Some of you in here have some old friends from before you got saved. It's time you part ways. Because you're lingering with the wrong crowd for far too long. You say, well, pastor, I've been in church many years. I've read my Bible. I know my Bible. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a godly person. And, and pastor, surely it's okay uh, for, for me. I, I'm not at risk of what you're preaching about. Well, I want to ask you a question. Are you better than the Apostle Peter after he spent three and a half years with Jesus? Mark 14, 54 says, And Peter followed him afar off, even to the palace of the high priest, and sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. And you know what happened to Peter. Peter, who had three and a half years of being trained to do right by Jesus himself, what did he do? He denied the Lord how many times? Three times. And then he quit. He quit. The Lord had to restore him. Listen to me. If it can happen to Peter, it can happen to any of us. You can be in your 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s and have been in church your whole life. It can happen to you too. You avoid the wrong crowd. Again, you're going to be that tree planted by the river of water that brings forth fruit. You must be steadfast in your prudence. You must be steadfast and you must be careful uh, who you give your ear and your heart. Letter A, we see that uh, he who is steadfast does not uh, listen to the ungodly man. He who is steadfast does not linger with the sinful man. Letter C, we see he who is steadfast does not laugh with the scornful man. Go back to Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Look at this last part of the verse. Nor sitteth in the seat of of the scornful. Say that with me. Ready? Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. The Bible says about scorners that they belittle righteousness uh, uh, by turning uh, sin uh, into nothing more than a laughing matter. Proverbs 14.9 says, Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. Now, when I was a, a boy growing up, uh, we didn't watch commercials much on TV because my father hated and still does 
and I do at this point now, hated watching commercials. Felt like it was a total waste of time. And so we'd be watching a, a football game or something, and then commercials would come on, and he'd turn over to the other football game. Or we'd be watching a, some show, maybe a game show, and uh, commercials would come on, and he'd find something else. And so there were always two options there. But when uh, my dad wasn't present and I was watching a football game, uh, and commercials would come on, oftentimes I would sit there and I would watch the commercials. And uh, I can remember as a boy, the funniest commercials on TV, to me anyway, were the alcohol commercials. They were hilarious. I mean, we would, me and my brother would just fall on the ground. We'd laugh so hard and we'd joke about it later. And, and we weren't laughing about alcohol. We were laughing at the punchline. We were laughing at the jokes that were being told. And I remember one day, my dad wasn't in the room and we were watching a, a football game, I believe it was, and a beer commercial came on TV and it was one of our favorite because it was just so funny. And my dad came in and he picked up the remote and he turned the TV off. And he looked at me and he quoted this verse. He said, Richard, Timmy, he said, fools make a mock at sin. He said, alcohol is no laughing matter. Alcohol costs people their lives. Alcohol causes people to drive drunk and kill people. He said, alcohol destroys marriages. Alcohol splinters homes. He said, we're not going to laugh. At the devil's sin. And I learned a vital, a vital lesson that day. You know, um, I can't say that I don't ever watch a commercial. But anytime an alcohol commercial comes on, I change the channel. You know why? I don't want my kids growing up and being exposed to that. You know, what's funny about alcohol commercials is that everyone looks like they're having a great time. They don't show the guy who's laying in his own vomit on the side of the road who stumbled out of the bar at 2 a.m. They don't show the wife who's heartbroken because her drunk husband picked up a girlfriend at the bar and ruined their marriage. You know what they do with these alcohol commercials? Is they're, 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 uh, they're preparing the next generation to go to the bar and get drunk. They don't make alcohol commercials for me and you. They make them for our kids. You, know, you shouldn't laugh shouldn't laugh at the sin of the world. You shouldn't laugh at scorners. Who is a scorner? A scorner is someone who is not just a fool. They are a salesman for foolishness. They work to sell it. Uh, they work to push evil on the world. They hate the prudent man. They hate the righteous man. And they're seeking to tear down and destroy all things that are good. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, 9, the thought of foolishness is sin and the scorner is an abomination to men. And in Isaiah 28, 14 and 15, uh, Isaiah gives us a description of the behavior of a scorner and sort of an inside uh, view of what the uh, who the scorner is. It says, Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men, that rule this people which is in Jerusalem, because ye have said, We have made a covenant with death, and with hell are we in agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come into us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hid our Ourselves. Isaiah says here that uh, scorners desire positions of leadership.
leadership. He says they have a covenant with death. He says they're in agreement with hell and its mission. It says they believe that they can avoid the consequences for their actions. And they believe somehow that they can use lies and falsehood as their cover. And a, a steadfast Christian who is blessed, uh, he's, he is blessed because he avoids the crowd uh, uh, that is scornful. He is prudent in his relationships. Listen, Christian, if you're going to be that strong tree by the river of water that brings forth its fruit, there's some relationships that's got to go. There's some numbers in your phone that need to be deleted. There's some people that you no longer need to associate with. Uh, there's some uh, 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 sources that you need to cut. Number one, if we're going to be that tree, we must be steadfast in our prudence. Number two, we're talking about having a heart that is ready, a steadfast heart. Notice number two, steadfast in our passion. Steadfast in our passion. Go back with me to Psalm chapter one and look down with me at verse number two. The Bible says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now, most everyone is passionate about something. Let me back up. Everyone is passionate about something. Everyone. You ever see a kid who you can't get to sit still in church? Give him a game controller. Ooh, they can sit there for hours. Right? Give him a Netflix subscription. They won't move. Everyone is passionate about something. Now, um, for you, it might be sports. It might be work. It might be making money. Maybe you're passionate about your kids. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's a hobby. Everybody's passionate about something. Um, Brother Daniel plays our piano over here. Love, Brother Daniel. Love him. He does a great job on the piano. Uh, Daniel, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're, you're listening. Uh, he, he out in the lobby, probably listening now. I'm trying to get him to be passionate about being in the auditorium. Amen. Uh, but uh, he, he listens all the same. And if he's not listening right now, I'm sure someone will tell him later. Uh, when I talk to Daniel one-on-one um, and I bring up sports, you know, it's, he tries to be interested. And to a degree he is. But that conversation usually comes to an end pretty quick. But let me bring up something about the Bible. And there is a flame that is lit in his eyes. And you can talk to him about the Bible for three or four hours. And keep on going. And that man loves the Bible. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Um... Most everyone is passionate. What are you passionate about? A Christian who is steadfast is a Christian who is passionate about the right things. Well, what are the right things? Letter A. Notice, God's Word has His affection. God's Word has His affection. Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verse 2. But His delight, His delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight. His delight. Um, I'm, a big, I'm a big baseball fan. I love the Baltimore Orioles. And uh, we haven't been very good, uh, but as of late, we've been better. And 
I have an app on my phone called Baltimore Baseball. And every day they post an article about what's going on down in spring training. And every day I open it up and I read the article. So I'm up to date with what's going on in spring training as we approach baseball. Any Yankee fans in here this morning? Raise your hand if you're a Yankees fan. Uh, there's, you're not halfway in on the Yankees. You either are or you aren't, right? And uh, so we now know who the troublemakers in the church are. Amen? All those Yankee fans. Um, I am to be more passionate about the Bible than I am the baseball. Amen? How many of you, turn over to Psalm chapter 19. How many of you here have a smartphone? Raise your hand if you have a smartphone. Raise your hand for me. Hold them up. Hold them up. You have a smartphone. All right. That's probably almost every hand. All right. All right. Let me ask you another question. How many here love your Bible? Raise your hand if you love your Bible. Okay. All right. Put your hands down. Good. This is a, this is a classroom participation. Okay. How many of you here look at your smartphone at least once a day? Raise your hand. You, get that, you got that report this morning, didn't you, you iPhone users? Did it tell you how many hours you looked at it this week? Four, five, six, seven, eight <laughs> hours a day. Okay, um, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand for this one, but how many of you look at your Bible every day? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. I want you to answer that one on the inside. Now, I'm going to make a statement. Listen here. If you look at your phone every day, but you don't look at your Bible every day, then where does your affection truly lie? Oh man, someone mistreated me. Give me my social media so I can bury my sorrows in Facebook. You're the ones doing the passive-aggressive posts, right? Someone! Don't you hate that? All right. Boy, you're having a hard time in life, and so what do you do? You, you blast the wrong kind of devil's music at the top volume to drown it out. No, no, no. His delight is not in some book, not just any book. His delight is not in a TV show or a smartphone. No, his delight is what? It's in the law of the Lord. Look at Psalm 19. In this chapter, we find David in love with God and in love with the Bible. You ever met a young man who's fallen in love and, and he's uh, getting ready to get married and you, you sit him down and you say, tell me about your fiance. And uh, he, he gets this big cheesy smile on his face and uh, he says, man, let me just tell you. And every superlative just starts to flow. From, she's perfect, man. I, I, she's wonderful. Uh, she smells so good. And, oh, man, I... I I, I can't get enough. You, you newlyweds, you, you, you that are, are engaged to get married. and David has that same attitude toward the Bible. Look at verse 7. You can just feel the love he has for God just come flowing. Look here. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is Pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is 
clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great Reward. Can you see the love in David's heart as he puts pen to parchment and he tells us how much he delights in God's Word? Psalm 119.97, the psalmist said it this way, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Do you delight in God's Word? Does God's Word have your affection? But notice letter A, not only his affection, God's Word has his attention. Letter B, his attention. Look with me at verse number 2. Uh, but his Psalm 1, verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now, Oh, please hear this. Many people have the wrong concept of meditation. We've let this Hindu concept of meditation work its way into our culture and even in its way into our churches. Now, meditation is not some mental checking out and just letting your body float freely through space. That's not meditation. You know, you're sitting with your legs crisscrossed, right? And you got your hands up like this. Home. That's not meditation, all right? Now, some of you are looking at me like, it's not? No, no. Um, the devil has hijacked that Bible word, and he has led a lot of people astray. Meditation is not just some checking out of your mind and floating through space. No, let me tell you what meditation is it is the act of musing. That means to mentally chew. Think of a cow with its seven stomachs, right? It pulls that cut up. And this is a great illustration right before lunchtime. It pulls that cut up. It chews it. It swallows it. It brings it up from a different stomach. It chews a little bit more and swallows it. Seven stomachs a cow has. And you know what? When you're meditating on truth, you are taking in the truth of today's sermon then you go home with that outline that I'm giving you that you fill out with the verses and you mentally pull it up and you mentally chew on it. That is meditating. It is the act of musing, thinking deeply and repetitively on something that is of great importance. It's not just enough for you to come to church occasionally and just have a fondness toward the Bible. If you're going to be a Christian with a steadfast heart, then God's Word must be something that you think about day and night. David said in Psalm 19, right after he gave that flowery description of God's Word, he said this in the end of the chapter, he said, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And I love what he said in the 63rd chapter when he put it this way. He said, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. You know what David's saying here? He's saying, when I lay down to sleep at night and I've got my head on my pillow and I'm trying to fall asleep, the last thing I think about is you, Lord. The last thing I think about as I drift off to sleep are the truths in the Bible that I took in. And then he said, when I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't fall back to sleep, I put my head on my pillow and I think about you in the watches of the night. 
He said, if I, uh, the Bible is telling us here that if you want to be a Christian with a heart that is ready, if you want to be a Christian with a steadfast heart, then God's Word must not only have your affection, it must also deeply have your full attention. Colossians three sixteen says it this way, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart. To the Lord. Are you steadfast in your passion? Listen, it's easy to fall in love with the Bible for a time. It's easy to fall in love with the Bible for a season. It's easy to fall in love with it uh, while it's new and fresh. And then something comes along in life and, and our expectations are not met. And we push the Bible to the side and we're fond of it, but we don't love it. We're fond of it, but we don't delight in it. No, the Word of God needs to be something that has your passion and you remain steadfast and firm in that passion. Number one, steadfast in our prudence. Number two, steadfast in our passion. Number three, notice, steadfast in our prosperity. Steadfast in our prosperity. Look with me at Psalm 1 and look at verse number 3. It says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. Look at the end of verse 3. Read it with me. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now sign me up for the end of verse 3. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Can I put my name in there? Whatsoever Richard doeth shall prosper. Uh, do you want your name in there? Whatsoever Sean doeth shall prosper, right? Whatsoever, let's see, Nia doeth shall prosper. When you sit on the corner in the front, you get picked on sometimes, amen? Whatsoever uh, you do shall prosper. Put your name in there. I want that. You know what that means? That means uh, that uh, whatever you put your hand to is going to be successful. Now, in our culture today, health and wealth preachers, especially in churches like this, they get picked on, right? Uh, the Joel Olsteins and Andy Sandleys of this world get picked on because, you know, they, they just want to teach him, T.D. Jakes, just want to teach him preach, you know, oh, if you love God and you have faith in God, you'll always be healthy and you'll always be wealthy. Now, a lot of that is deserved. Most of that is deserved. But can I tell you that being prosperous is a promise given to the Christian. We teach, seem to teach that to be a good Christian you have to be poor. That's not true. You can be wealthy and be a good Christian. Psalm 1 verse 3 says, Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Do we have any business owners in the room? Hold your hand up if you're a business owner. You want that thing to prosper? Amen? You didn't get into business to fail, did you? How many want your marriage to prosper? Whatsoever he... How many want your parenting to prosper? Amen? How many want the efforts that you put forth at church to prosper? Amen? Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now, if we're going to be steadfast in our prosperity and prosper over a lifetime, then we should pay attention to what verse 3 tells us. Letter A, notice his prominence, his prominence. Look down at Psalm 1 and let's take this verse apart little at a time. Oh man, this is just dense. This is really good. Verse 3, and he shall be like what? Shall be like a tree. Everybody, he shall be like what? 
He should be like a tree. All right, did you hold your place in Luke 8? Go back over to Luke 8 for me. Um, Large trees are prominently displayed and are often an important part of the landscape. In fact, where the Lord came down and met with Moses, or rather with Abraham, excuse me, and uh, told Abraham and Sarah that they would indeed have a baby. You may remember Sarah laughed in the tent and and then she denied laughing. That area where he met with them was known as Mamre. And Mamre, the descriptor of Mamre in the Bible, tells us it was the place where the trees were. A place of the trees. And trees are used as a descriptor. Uh, trees are uh, that of great prominence. Uh, our church is named what? White Oak Baptist Church. And what is the White Oak? It is a Tree. In fact, it is the tree of the. It is the official tree of the state of Connecticut. And uh, let's see. About uh, three, four months ago, we had to take a large white oak tree down on our property. It broke my heart. That was such a beautiful tree, and uh, it was just um, probably 100 years old, 100, 120 years old. I stood out there and tried to count the rings, but I, I lost count. Amen. Uh, large tree, and um, um, you know, trees. They are. They are. Uh, prominently displayed on a piece of property. And God wants you and I to have a sense of prominence. I look at our church here. Now, not pride. Let me be clear on that. Not pride, but prominence. I look at our church here, and I'm so thankful for the diversity in our church. We have those who have only been saved for a handful of months or even a handful of years. We have others that have been saved for a decade or two. But then we have some folks in the church that have been here since it, it, it got started, and they've been saved 30, 40, 50 years. Hey, you know what a church needs to be healthy? They need some Christians who've been around 30, 40, 50 years. You know why? They're the trees of the church. Amen? Hey, there's someone we can look at and say, I want to be like that. Now, we're not putting a man up on a pedestal, right? But we're following them as they follow Christ. We're not going to put a woman up on a pedestal either. But I praise God for the, the, the saintly, elderly women in our church who've been at this for many years and are faithful. Look at Luke 8. Look at verse 9. His disciples asked him, saying, What might this, uh, this parable be? And he said, Unto you is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see and Hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, that uh, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth, go forth, and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Look at verse 15. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, notice here, they keep it, they guard it, they protect it, and bring forth fruit with patience. So we see here that we're called to be like a tree, that prominent tree. Let her be not only his prominence, but his permanence, his permanence. And if you're a woman, you can cross through his and write her. Amen. Uh, we, we, I put his down, but uh, you can put down her if you're a woman, make it personal to you, uh, his or her prominence. Go back to Psalm 1 and look at verse number 3. There it says, and he shall be like a tree. What's that next word? Planted. Planted. Uh, 
The Christian with a steadfast heart, he isn't going anywhere. She isn't going anywhere. This person is locked into his church, locked into his marriage. This person is devoted to his family. He's faithful to keep his word. This person is rooted in Christ. Psalm chapter 12, verse 1 says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. I look around today and I'll tell you what I see. I see a bunch of unfaithful people that can't seem to hold their place. How about Psalm 1, verse 4? Look down at verse 4. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Over the years, I make reference to this occasionally, but over the years I see people who come to church and they're here for a few months or a few years and then they're gone. And you know what? It isn't that they left and went to another church. They're done with church. You know, you have labeled yourself as ungodly. You're like that chaff. The wind is just... You know what you need to be? You need to be planted. Rooted. You need to be rooted. Deeply, deeply rooted. Um, many people who give Christianity a try are more like chaff than trees. They're here for a season, gone. They give God's word a shot and they quit. While God may be... Faithful to them, they struggle to be faithful to God. Colossians 2. Uh, Paul told the church of Colossae that they were to put down deep roots into their faith and never let go. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. This, uh, this week marks a very special day for, uh, for me. I'm very excited about something that's coming up this week. Um, back when I was just a freshman in Bible college, I sat there in, uh, in the uh, chapel. The college had, has a chapel five days a week, and they'd bring in guest speakers into the chapel. It was a church service type thing for the college kids. And, uh, they would bring in pastors who had uh, been successful in the pastorate. They'd bring them in to preach chapel. I can remember being 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. And here's what I told myself. One day, one day... You're going to go out of here and you're going to work so hard, they're going to invite you to come back and preach in chapel. This Friday, I get to preach in chapel at my alma mater. Very excited about that. Now, now listen, uh, that's a joy and a privilege for me. I'm very excited about getting to do that. We're going to leave Thursday, come back Saturday, pray for us. Um, how did I get there? I got there because at 18, I put my eyes on something and said... I'm going to do what's right until I get it. And then I'm going to do what's right even after I get there. Some of you right here, right now, need to make a decision that all things remaining constant or moving in the right direction, you're going to be in this church 20 years from now. And nothing's going to knock you out. Nothing. It doesn't matter if someone is unkind to you or mean to you. It doesn't matter if if your spouse dies or your child gets cancer or your whole world comes falling apart, right now you're going to make a choice that you're going to put down roots and you're going to stay. But it isn't just about church. You need to make that decision about your Bible reading. Hey, you know where you're going to be a month from now? Waking up reading your Bible. A year from now? Waking up reading your Bible. Ten years from now? 
20 years from now, 30 years from now, diving in, reading, getting to know God's Word. Why? You're putting down roots, and when the storms of life blow, and when things get tough, you're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. You're rooted. Your spouse ought not wonder from one season to the next whether or not you're going to leave them. Your kids shouldn't wonder from one season to the next whether or not you're going to abuse them. You ought to be constant and steadfast in your temperament and steadfast in your relationships because you put down roots and you hold tight to the soil of truth. Letter C, not only His prominence and His permanence, but letter C, we see His position. Look with me at Psalm 1 verse 3. And He shall be like a tree planted where? By the rivers of water. Now, I wish I had a whole hour to preach this next truth. I'm going to take about two or three minutes and cover it here, okay? Write this down somewhere on your outline if you can find a spot to write this down. In my study this week of putting this message together, water in the Bible is an interesting topic. Water, here's what I want you to write down. Water for cleansing represents the Word of God. Water for cleansing represents the Word of God. Ephesians 5 tells us that Christ washes the church by the washing of the water by the Word. And I'm not going to dwell on that uh, this morning. We all need to be washed. Amen. We all need to be cleansed. Let me make one point here. All right, before I give you the next thought. Let me give you a truth here. How many of you think it's important that you shower every day? Raise your hand if you think it's important you shower every day. Some of you don't have anybody sitting next to you, and I know, I know why you didn't raise your hand. Amen. Someone says, where's the Bible say I have to shower every day? Take a shower every day. Amen? It's important. It's important. Okay? When you read your Bible every day, you know what you're doing? You're taking a spiritual shower. Some of you spiritually stink. Because you haven't read your Bible. You get a bath every Sunday morning when you come to church. And then you put your Bible away and you don't look at it the rest of the week. And you wonder why you stink spiritually. God's Word is to wash us and cleanse us. That's why we read it every day. Amen? You want to lose friends? Don't shower. People are going to stay away from you. Your spouse is going to go sleep in the other room. Okay? You've got to take a bath. You've got to bathe spiritually. So washing... The, the Word of God, when it comes to uh, how to... Water for cleansing represents the Word of God. Write this down. Water for drinking represents the Spirit of God. Water for drinking represents the Spirit of God. Isaiah 44.3 says, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my Spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thine offspring. How about Acts 2, verse 17? And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, here Peter's preaching, he's quoting from the book of Joel, I will pour out of my spirit, like you're pouring water, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dream, uh, dreams. Trees need both outward cleansing and inward nourishing. All right. This is so good. This is so good. Watch me now. Watch me now. Uh, If you have a tree and you uproot it and you go plant it in the desert and that tree is living here in Connecticut, it's used to the water down in the soil of Connecticut and you take it and you plant it down in the desert of Southern California and you go out with a water hose every day and you spray that tree down and make it clean, but you don't give the roots any water. Can I tell you what's going to happen to that clean tree? 
It's going to die, and it's going to shrivel up, and it's going to fall over. You know what that tree needs? It needs water down into its roots that get sucked up and to make its trunk strong and to make its branches strong. Watch this now. When you yield your heart to the Spirit of God and you obey the Spirit of God and you're aware of the Spirit's working in your life, what happens is you drink up the water of the Spirit and that nourishes you and it makes you strong. Who is this Christian that's planted by the river of water? I'm going to tell you who he is. He's someone who is cleansed by the water of the Word outwardly and he's nourished by the water of the Word inwardly through the Spirit of God and his obedience to him. I'm going to tell you right now, many, many Christians have no idea whether or not the Spirit of God is around them, working in them. They ignore Him. They don't listen to Him. And they're shriveling up and they're dying on the inside. And you might have it together on the outside, but my friend, you're like that tree that fell over on my neighbor's house as a boy. Your root system is falling apart because you're not yielding to the Spirit of God. His position, He's planted by the river of water. Letter D, notice... His production, His production. Quickly, look at verse 3. And He shall be like a tree planted by the river of water that bringeth forth His fruit. We bear fruit naturally as we abide in Christ. John 15 says that if you abide in Me and I abide in you, uh, 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 ye shall bring forth fruit. Back in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 where we were a bit ago. Look back over there. Look at verse 8. And others fell on good ground and sprang up. And bear fruit in hundredfold. In a hundredfold. Uh, I want to be that Christian that's bearing fruit a hundredfold. Now, I've preached through Luke 8. I've done series of sermons out of Luke 8. I love the story of the sower and the seed out of Luke chapter 8. Let me tell you a conclusion I've drawn from preaching this. Please, please don't check out on me here. I'm almost done, but I need you to hear this. The difference between the thorny soil and the soil that produces good fruit is just simply those who tend to pull the weeds out of the soil and those who don't. Listen to me. Cares, you know what a care is? That's a setback, a discouragement, a struggle. Riches, that's the pursuit of money over God. And pleasures are a temptation for every single person here. Let me tell you what someone who produces fruit a hundredfold does. They get down in the soil and they pull those weeds up and they don't let them choke out their tree. How do you do that? You must constantly analyze and prioritize. Throughout the years, my kids have come to me and wanted to be involved in sports leagues. Sports leagues. Dad, can we get in a sports league? And and I'll say to them, well, the problem with sports leagues is that The games usually take place on Sunday or the practices take place on Sunday during church. You know what that is? That's a pleasure we're not going to let choke out our tree. Amen? We have to continue to reevaluate that thing. You ever been disoriented because you didn't get what you wanted out of life and you just... You know what? I'm not going to be quite as faithful to church. I'm going to let my Bible reading slip a little bit. I don't know that I love God's Word as I should. You've got to get down in the soil and you've got to pull that care up. You've got to pull that, that desire to be rich. Listen, 
I, I talked earlier about prosperity, and that's the whole point here. You don't get prosperity from chasing money. You get prosperity from chasing God, and He in turn will give you the money. But your love is not money, your love is God. I promise you, your life will be filled with all kinds of pleasure if you'll pursue the Lord. Some of us this morning need to get into the soil and pull out the thorns that are choking out our fruit. Letter E, lastly, notice his patience. Back in verse 3, shall be like a tree planted by the river of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Luke eight fifteen, but that on the good ground are they with an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. I'll finish with an illustration here. Um, I was curious as I put the sermon together how long it takes for the seed inside of an apple to become a tree that produces apples. So I decided to go and look that up. I used to work on a fruit farm. And um, we would take strawberry seeds and tomato seeds and we would see them turn around in one, one harvest. But how about an apple seed? You get to the middle of the apple, there's that seed. You cut the apple open, there's that seed. How long does it take to that, for that seed to produce its own apples? Well, according to everything I've read, it takes seven to ten years for that seed to put forth its first harvest. Listen, seven to ten years. Are you willing to do the right things the right way for seven to ten years before you really start to get a harvest of spiritual fruit that you can enjoy and appreciate? Many people give up. They do what's right for a year or two and they quit. Are you willing to put down roots and give it time? I look for a time-lapse video of an apple seed becoming a tree. I don't think YouTube's old enough for that yet. Um, best I could find was 171 days of an apple seed becoming just a little stalk coming out of a... You know what? That's where some of you are right now. You say, Pastor, I'm not seeing any fruit. I'm discouraged. Stay at it. You bring forth fruit in your season. And then you get to enjoy a life where your leaf doesn't wither and whatsoever you do shall prosper. I don't know about you, but I really want to be that steadfast tree by the river of water. Is your heart steadfast? Are you steadfast in your prudence? Are you steadfast in your passion for God's word? Are you steadfast in your prosperity?